0: hello and welcome back to the rewatch rewind the podcast where i count down my top 40 most rewatched movies my name is jane and in this episode i will be discussing number 34 on my list 20th century fox and argyle enterprises 1965 musical the sound of music directed by robert wise written by ernest Lehman, with the partial use of ideas by georg Herdelek, adapted from the stage musical book by Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss, which was based on the autobiography of Maria von Trapp, and starring Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. This is the story of Maria, Julie Andrews, a postulant who is struggling to maintain the discipline required to become a nun, so she is sent to the home of widower Captain Georg von Trapp, Christopher Plummer, to be a governess to his seven children for the summer and accidentally catches feelings. Also, it's Austria in the late 1930s and bad times are coming. In previous episodes of this podcast, I've talked to you by myself, but in this discussion I will be joined by my dear friend Christina Ehler, whom I met online a few years ago due to our shared appreciation and support for independent filmmakers like Shipwrecked Comedy, The Tin Can Brothers, and Ashley Clements, all of whom have YouTube channels featuring brilliant projects that you should absolutely check out if you're unfamiliar with their work. Christina and I also share a love for the sound of music, as you will be able to tell from this very long, detailed chat that we had about it. Hope you enjoy. Here it is. Hello. Hi. Thank you for joining me on my podcast.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm so excited to have you as my first guest.
1: I feel so honored.
0: Because the first time we met in person, we watched a movie together, and it was not this movie, but it did have Christopher Plummer in it, so...
1: That's true! Oh my goodness, I didn't even think about that connection. Yeah.
0: But sadly, I don't get to talk about Knives Out on this podcast, because I've only seen it eight times. But... Sound of Music. (laughs) I have watched 15 times, and we have watched it together.
1: It's true, virtually.
0: Yes. So the first time I watched Knives Out was with you, and the most recent time I watched Sound of Music was with you. So it's all
1: all connected. Well, I just watched some of it this morning to refresh myself. And I don't know how many times I have watched The Sound of Music, but it's definitely one of the most watched of my life. And the episode that you just released a couple days ago was Princess Bride, which is also like one of my top most watched movies. So I was like, wow, like this week is just in the Jane Rewind rewatch. It's, it's all about what Christina watches all the time.
0: <laughs> yes. we have similar taste in movies. Yes. So do you remember the first time you ever saw Sound of Music?
1: I am not sure exactly when the first time I saw it, but I do have a memory of receiving the video cassettes for my birthday. And I'm not sure it was either my fourth or fifth birthday. I know that for certain because we were living in a house that we only lived in for a couple years. And I remember being so excited. I think that I had the audio cassette of the songs and I also had a picture book or something where it came with an audio cassette and it would like have a sound to turn the page and it kind of told an abbreviated story of the sound of music. So I was already familiar with like the general plot and the songs and then I got this two VHS set and was just thrilled. And looking back, I it's like hilarious to me that I was already like so fully formed like four years old. I was <laughs> <laughs> just like, yes. And, um, you know, a few years ago, like as I got into my late 20s, I was like, well, wow, like, do I really love Sound of Music because it's great or because of the nostalgia factor? And then when I started re-watching it again, I, like, tried to have a more critical eye and I just thought, you know what, I think this is a really great movie. <laughs> I think I just had really great taste. Yeah. Starting from the age of four. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I, I feel like I got into it later than that in life. Like, I was aware of it and I think it was another one of those movies where that it was just like always on TV or it was on TV at certain times of year so I know I watched like bits and pieces of it and I, I remember we watched at least part of it in school in like third grade and I have no idea why but I have this memory
1: of watching it in my third grade classroom yeah, I think, you know, like, if you're trying to teach, like, Nazis are bad, it's a, it's a great, like, primer, and it's rated G. Like, there's not that many movies that talk about Nazis being bad that's also rated G.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Well, and, and I had a very deprived childhood because we didn't have a VCR until I was, like, 10. What? <laughs> so I uh, I couldn't Whoa. watch movies at home that much unless they were on tv like we had cable and we had some like movie channels so like
1: wow <laughs> this, this puts this the whole concept of this podcast and like how much you rewatch movies into this whole new context for me I'm just yes wow this is a whole new perspective has opened up for me I feel like you need to do an, an episode that's like just about your journey of like becoming a film buff
0: yeah Yeah, that's true. I probably should do a bonus episode explaining that, but bits and pieces will come out in the episodes. But um, but yeah, so I didn't ever have it on VHS. I'm pretty sure that I must have gotten it on DVD around 2004, because that was like when we got a DVD player for the living room. So then we started getting DVDs. So I think it was around 2004. And that year I watched it four times. And so that was when I was like really into it And it was also around the same time I got into Mary Poppins So I was like really having a Julie Andrews phase right then I
1: mean, that's the best kind of
0: phase to have Yeah, for sure
1: And Princess Diaries came out like right around then too Yeah,
0: yeah I think Princess Diaries was 2001 And that was like I I like was aware of who Julie Andrews was before then, but that was really what got me into Julie Andrews was Princess Diaries,
1: which seems a little backwards. Whatever gets you there to the Julie Andrews obsession. (laughs) Yes,
0: absolutely. So yeah, so that was at that point, because like my freshman year of high school was 2004 to 2005. And that year I told people that Sound of Music was my all-time favorite movie. And I watched it a lot in that era but then again it was kind of like I didn't watch it for a while and thought like okay maybe it's just nostalgia but then re-watching it later I was like oh this movie is great and then I went to several sing-alongs of it I think I looked back I'm pretty sure I've been to four Sound of Music sing-alongs.
1: Wow I have been to one sing-along and it was I went with my family Um, I don't know if you like what your sing-along experiences were, but I went with my family and there was varying levels of enthusiasm within my family (laughs) about attending, but I was so excited. And um, so my mom's dad was a Marine and served in West Germany when she was a kid. So they actually lived in Berlin for part of her childhood. So we have like in my family, we have a, a lot of like, dirndls and later husband I don't know, we just like have those in our family closet. And so I was, you know, dressed up in a dirndl and then my brother was wearing this like Austrian looking hat. And during the, um, there was like a costume contest at the beginning mm-hmm. and he actually won because everyone else got up and they were like, I'm dressed as this child. And he got up and was this little 10 year old boy and he said he was dressed as Uncle Max. And oh, a huge laugh, and then people were like, "Oh, like you get the
0: prize." Yeah, I've never participated in the costume contest part of the sing-alongs, but they they always have them at the beginning, and it's fun to see like what creative things people come up with. Because a lot of times it's like people dressed as the characters, but then like they'll be like dressed as some of the favorite things from the song, or like mm-hmm. um, the this one time there was a group of people that were dressed as hills that were alive. And they were like labeled as hills from the neighborhood and stuff. So that was fun. The first time I went to one, it was because one of the pastors at my church at the time had mentioned it in a sermon that like, that was a thing that happened at this theater nearby. And I was like, what? I need to go to this. I did not know this existed. And so then I like messaged her and she like, kind of, it wasn't an official church event, but she sort of put together like various people from the church that she Aww. thought would be interested. And so we all went and saw it together. So nobody else from my family went. It was just me and a bunch of other people I knew from church. And that was really fun. And I like distinctly remember at intermission being like, oh my gosh, I love this movie so much. And one of the kids that was there was like, well, yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> I was like, yep, oh, yep, it is. So then the next year was the 50th anniversary of Sound of Music. Okay. And so I went again with like my family and friends. And that year was the year that Dwayne Chase, who played Kurt in the movie, actually came to the sing-along. Oh, wow. Because he lives kind of nearby in this area now. Oh. So he came to that, and that was really fun because, like, at the sing-alongs, they give you like stuff to do and say at certain points. Yeah, it's like you're supposed to cheer whenever Julie Andrews comes on screen and boo the Nazis and stuff like that. Yeah. So then every time Kurt did anything, everybody was cheering for him, and yeah. it was really fun. And then afterwards, I got a picture with him nice Um, but he see it seemed like he was getting kind of tired of being there (laughs) because he he stopped acting after his childhood so he's not really into like being in the spotlight but it was fun that he came for that yeah i think the year after that they didn't have one because where they do the screening around here is like a a stage theater and they Mm -hmm. were doing sound of music the stage show that year so they Um. didn't have a movie sing-along but then the following year i went again and then I kind of stopped doing it because I was like, it gets to be a little repetitive if you go a lot, but it is really fun, and it's it's just great to be in a whole big theater full of people who love the movie. But then I went again, and at a different place when I was visiting my siblings the year before last, so that was really fun too, just being in a co- a completely different part of the country and doing the same sort of thing. So
1: I love those sing-alongs. Well, awesome. Well, should we talk about why we love this movie so much?
0: Yes, we should. So, do you have a favorite part? Do you have a favorite song?
1: Well, I oh, I don't know if I could choose a favorite. You know, I'm I'm more of the my favorite things theory of life. You just list out all the things you love, but then we would be here all day. That's true. But I did. I have my my many notes here, and one thing that I just always get so excited about when the movie starts is it's probably one of my favorite openings of a movie of all time me too I love you know the aerial shots it's so beautiful and then I love the sound design of it and how it just starts with the wind blowing and then they bring in the birds and then they gradually layer in the orchestration of the Hills Are Alive song, and then just like zooming in on Maria spinning around on the hill. (laughs) Just every time I watch it, I a am just like, this is so beautiful. And B, think, gotta get myself on a Viking River cruise to actually like go to there. And (laughs) like, like, I just want to go to Salzburg (laughs) every time I watch I'm like, should I, should I become a hiker? Should I learn how to climb mountains so I can be there?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That opening is so good. And I think it's really interesting because in the stage show, Maria sings a like little verse before the hills are alive. Like there's a little, my day in the hills has come to an end, I know. And in the movie, they don't sing that, but they just play that like that's the instrumental like introduction and I think that's really interesting I don't know why they chose to do it that way but I really like it because it's like kind of like more gradually building into the song and then
1: just like having it yeah
0: the first lyrics be the hills are alive
1: so can we agree that Julie Andrews is like one of the greatest singers of all time oh 100% So, yeah, it's just like, we're going to give you exactly what you want, like, right away and just let her, like, belt out this line. Like, (laughs) she doesn't have to work up to it. And uh, it's just, it's like starting on a climax. And it's so beautifully cinematic. And I think that there's you know there's so few movies that shoot on location to that extent yeah. and especially so many hollywood musicals were shot on sound stages completely and now they're very rarely shot on location like that and so it's really just one of the most immersive movie musicals that i can think of and i just love how it goes right into the opening credits is like all these shots of Salzburg as well. And it just really like puts you in this place and time. I'm taking air quotes for time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a very
1: 60s version of World War II. (laughs) Yes. And it's also, so just before we talk more about the movie, just some more background about me and Sound of Music in general is I have never seen the stage version, actually. Mm -hmm. And I knew that there were some changes. And I have, like, looked up the differences. I think that I'm so obsessed with the movie. I don't know if I would really fully like seeing the stage version at this point, because all of the changes that I've seen them make, I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. But I also have read the actual Maria von Trapp autobiography. And I think I read that when I was like in middle school or high school. And so her actual story with the von Trapps really took place in the 20s. And then they were married for like a decade. And then the Nazis showed up. And tried to get him to work for them. So they, you know, they definitely took some artistic laces. And I agree, like, some of the hemlines in this movie, I'm like, that is not a 1930s hemline. That is a 1960s hemline. But, you know, it's still beautiful. So yeah, we're gonna let it go.
0: So I've seen three different productions of the stage version, I think. But one of them, I don't know if it really counts, because it was like a youth theater it wasn't a professional thing but I saw that one first because my brother was the uh, student stage manager but then the person who was supposed to play the main Nazi dropped out so my brother ended up playing the main Nazi character too so I saw that one and then I saw it at the Fifth Avenue which is the theater where I see the sing-alongs they did their own stage production of it and that was pretty good There were a few things about it that I was like, oh, but the movie is so much better. But it was interesting to see. And then I saw there was like a a national tour of it a couple years later. And that was amazing, the singing. And that was so good. It was no Julie Andrews, but it was still really good. So I enjoyed the stage version. And a lot of it is very similar to the movie, but certain things changed. And it was interesting to see those changes obviously I prefer the movie but I'm biased because I've seen it so many more times but yeah I enjoyed the stage show but I think what you said about the location thing is so true because so many movie musicals feel very like contained in a soundstage and this feels very open and like it is its own little world but it's also like part of the real world yeah and I think that's really part of what makes it so Powerful is like yeah It is its own like musical world But it's also like real And yeah it's not really the real story But like it feels like it's part of the world
1: Yeah and I also Think like the historical Beats that they're hitting are Real like the way that The play and the movie ends Is not actually how they Escaped Austria In part because there's not A border (laughs) Right there (laughs) Um, but I do think like what it's trying to tell us about like that political moment, there is some, some truth there and it's valuable, I think. Comparing it to other movie musicals, when I was watching it this morning, one that came to mind was the new West Side Story. Oh yeah. I haven't seen the old West Side Story in a little while. I know that that one also starts with an aerial shot and they were actually worried about the sound of music being seen as copycatting that oh really (laughs) yeah so it shared some production team and then the I think it was the screenwriter like insisted on the aerial shot of the Alps and they were like oh like people just saw that with West Side Story so they're probably (laughs) not gonna like that but then according to wikipedia they couldn't think of anything better
0: <laughs> oh that's so funny because yeah i guess they they are similar but i never thought of them as being similar before because it's such a different setting that they're showing you it's such
1: a different setting and also like you know it's written by such a different team yeah it is, you know it's they're both from that era i guess But the new what I was going to say is like the new West Side Story is really a beautiful movie. And they put so much work into the details of like, taking us back to that New York. But at the same time, it doesn't have that expansiveness that they were able to have by just like shooting on location in Salzburg, because the New York of West Side Story, you know, no longer exists, it kind of like never existed. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> that musical, But like, you know, the New York of the 1950s, like truly no longer exists. So they really had to create sound stages and sets for that. And despite like the enormous amount of detail and scale that Steven Spielberg was trying to put into it you just can't match it with like an actual mountain yeah
0: that's so true also i have to i have to mention because julie andrews mentions it a lot that that spin that she does that's captured by the helicopter shot every single take of it the like downdraft from the helicopter would completely knock her over <laughs> right after they shot so she would spin around and then she would fall over <laughs> and they kept doing it and she so at one point she was like trying to gesture to the people like do a wider turn so you don't knock me over and they just like waved they're like oh hi yeah we're doing So she fell over on that hill a lot. Oh
1: no. Yeah, you can definitely if you're like watching very closely to it, you can see her do the spin and then they immediately cut to Yeah,
0: to a close up of her. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's so funny. Also, apparently the stream that she crosses is like plastic.
0: Oh yeah. And at one point like a farmer in the area destroyed it because they were mad about like people filming there.
1: That's fair. I can't I can't blame him. Yeah. It's like stop putting plastic streams on this natural beauty. That's it's so funny to me that I understand why they when she like walks through the birch trees. I mean that is like so perfect. I was like, I bet they brought those birch trees in, and they did. But with the stream, when I found out that was fake, I was like, you couldn't find a real stream. It seems like they would be all over the place. Yeah,
0: I don't know. (laughs) But moving on from the opening scene, so the next song is how do you solve a problem like Maria? And I just, like, I've always loved that song. I think it's very fun. But I remember as a kid, I definitely misunderstood what it was about. And I thought that they were asking how... Do you solve a problem the way Maria solves problems? Oh
1: my gosh, that is so funny.
0: Like I didn't realize they were calling her a problem. I thought, like, oh, she's such a good yeah. problem solver. How do you how do you emulate wow. that? Yeah. And then later realized what it was actually about and yeah. was like, oh, okay, that's a very different song.
1: Okay, I actually have half a page of notes just about this song. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, like, knew what it was about the whole time, I'm pretty sure. And I really identify with this song and love it. And, like, in the same way that, you know, on this podcast, you're often talking about, here's my Arrow Ace perspective on things. And, and, like, looking back on watching these movies, you're realizing maybe why you connected with certain elements. So I definitely do that now that I realize that I'm neurodivergent and had undiagnosed ADHD as a child. And I'm like, oh, like so many things make sense. Mm -hmm. And this song, I am like, oh, like this is why I loved this song so much because I as a kid was so often criticized for not doing things the way that other people did them. And I was always late and I was always daydreaming. And I was just asked by a lot of authority figures in my life. They, you know, they were always like, you're so sweet and you're so smart. Why can't you just you know, do things the way the other kids do them. And I think that I found this song very validating, first of all, to see I wasn't the only person in the world to be criticized for that. And then to have that person end up being the hero of this story and the central focus of this story, I think, meant a lot to me. And it's it's part of why I think I always identified with Maria. But I also love that this song is in part people complaining about her but in part people defending her yeah bringing up over and over again all these reasons that they love her and that they find these things that are you know weird about her also to be endearing and it really holds a special place in my heart because of that
0: yeah oh wow that's great that makes a lot of sense the reason I love the song is not anything near as personal as that I just I've always loved songs that have a lot of fun lyrics. And I just love that there's all these really silly words in it and stuff. And so I've always loved singing along to it because of that. And also it's very fun that Marnie Nixon is one of the nuns in that song because she was frequently the singing voice of actors who couldn't sing in movies. And I talked about in the Mary Poppins episode that Julie Andrews was not cast in My Fair Lady because she hadn't done a movie before and Audrey Hepburn was even though Audrey Hepburn did not have the singing voice for that character and so her singing was dubbed by Marnie Nixon who makes an appearance in The Sound of Music which is kind of funny that connection there because she didn't often, her face was not often in movies and she was usually uncredited as the singing voice because the studios wanted to maintain the facade of like, look, our stars
1: are such good singers. Oh, studios. Well, I'm glad that she got to have her do in this one. Yeah. So she's Sister Sophia. She's just in that
0: one scene, I think.
1: Yeah. But they all have like such individual personalities and make such a strong impression All those nuts. Yeah, definitely. And that's
0: also true of the children, which I think is great. Like that they have seven children and you would think they would kind of blend together but they really are all distinct even the ones that don't get to do very much like i think louisa is probably the least developed of the children
1: yeah and it's funny apparently that louisa like the second oldest daughter is like the one that the historical maria von Trapp was brought to be her tutor Oh, and was not going to be like a governess for all seven of them. So you know they supposedly like <laughs> probably had the strongest relationship at the beginning of the story. Historically, they
0: all had different names in real life too, right?
1: Yeah, actually, that the real life second sister was named Maria, which was part of why they changed all of the names. It <laughs> would have been confusing <laughs> the kids. Yeah, they are just like, nah, "This is not necessary." Yeah, so I I love How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria, and I also love that they bring it back as their wedding song. It was
0: just like, yes, of course, I will walk down the aisle to a song about how I'm a problem.
1: (laughs) And it's crazy because like, if they just played the theme, then it would be just like a fun, you know, musical reprise, but they actually have the nuns sing. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and and they don't go in the church, which I'm like, are nuns not allowed to go
1: to weddings? Is this a rule? It seems like it is a rule it because, you know, they're brides of Christ. I don't I mean, I'm not Catholic. So I, I can't weigh in on this. But I think that it has something to do with like the barrier and also they were always upset with Maria for just randomly leaving the abbey and they had all of these rules about that so maybe they're just like we need special permission to go through these gates yeah I
0: don't know I, that's always just been weird to me that they're just like standing outside singing the Maria song while
1: she's getting married it's like <laughs> yeah we just like never forget that we thought you were weird <laughs>
0: She's like, this is why I left you
1: guys Yeah, she's just like, you know what? It makes me even more glad that I'm committing to this family (laughs) Okay, so jumping ahead slightly Maria is with the Von Trapp family Okay, so she starts off at the convent Then let me just go through the whole plot She starts out at the convent They're like, you're weird Please go be a governess for a while again air quotes because I think that mother superior was like I don't think it's gonna work out here and was like <laughs> looking for a long-term way to get her out bye <laughs> and then she leaves and then she is like having all these conflicted feelings about Captain Von Trapps, and then she goes back to the convent she has always planned to take her vows as a nun and that has always been her dream and it's always been her dream to serve God. And so she's just feeling very conflicted about it. And then when she goes to mother superior, which I believe is the scene where mother superior sings climb every mountain to her. Yes. But part of their conversation is mother superior basically saying we serve God here. By taking our vows, but that's not the only way to serve God and to have faith. And if you love this man and want to be a mother to these children, that is another way to serve God. And you can take your faith out into the community. And I was someone who was raised as Jane, as you know, I was raised in the Christian faith and I think that's another reason I always really connected with Maria was like that longing to connect with God and serve God. But I think another reason I really love this movie is because that is one of the messages is that you can bring whatever your light is, whatever your, you know, spark is. There's a lot of ways that you can bring that to the world and be a good in the world and you don't necessarily have to... Be following like a really strict lifestyle, like being a nun,
0: yeah. Well, and I think it's sort of backwards to me because they're saying like it's okay to get married and have a romantic relationship. But I think like part of the way I interpreted it is that there's no correct path. Yes, exactly. There's no one path for every person. Like you have to do what feels right for you. And so for Maria, it was very clearly, marrying Captain Von Trapp but like if people are saying the correct path is to get married and have a family like that doesn't mean that everybody has to do that
1: yeah that's not going to be for everyone
0: yeah so I think that it's even encouraging in that it is a romantic story it's encouraging for people who don't want that kind of relationship too to be like well but that was right for her they're not saying everybody has to do that
1: right yes and I don't actually know how you say out loud the the word for um, ama normativity. <laughs> amato normativity. That's how I say it. I don't actually know if that's how you pronounce it. As you have brought up before, this idea that is pushed on us by culture that like there is one way, like the normative part of it, and then the amato normative part of it is relationships and romantic relationships. Like you have to be in one to be living the right life and. Yeah, I definitely think that this movie and this musical is trying to say there is no right way. And you can't say being a nun, you know, isn't the right way, but then being in a relationship is. No, like, that was what was right for her. And what was right for Uncle Max was being a musical group producer and leeching off of his rich friends. And I do think that it ties in to the anti-Nazi themes of the movie because I at least associate a lot of that movement and, like, fascism in general with the idea of, like, there is only one right way. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. And we're going to force people to be this one right way and the heroes of this movie are all saying that's not how people are (laughs) Yeah, people are going to be different and they need connection and they need to have faith in each other so yeah I think those are all hopefully I've teased out these (laughs) these themes that I'm trying to talk about
0: yeah no I think that makes a lot of sense that like the movie presents the only wrong way to live is if you're denying the way you actually feel.
1: Right. I also think I was mostly thinking of this um, topic in comparison to other Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. Um, I wasn't really thinking about like other musicals or movies in general. But I really think that despite how much I love other songs from Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. I don't love any of them to the extent that I love this one. And I think that part of it is that this movie is about two people who their arc is to recognize what their values are and then very purposefully try to shape their lives around their values. And that's really like the arc of, Maria and the captain and I don't think that that's necessarily the arc of most of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals and some of them actually although they're like seen as the pinnacle of book musicals are a little bit messy thematically (laughs) whereas this one Maria is figuring out okay I thought that serving God was my only value but actually family and Being in touch with my creative spirit are also very important values for me. And once she's able to choose those things, that's how she ends up being part of the Von Trapp family and then, you know, moving with them to America. And the same with Captain Von Trapp. Like, he's kind of in this place in his life at the beginning of the movie where he's just bogged down in grief. But then during the course of the movie, in addition to him realizing oh I want my life centered around my children I again want to connect with like that creativity and the music and then also for him a big part of it is I guess like I'm trying to think of the right word but like being an Austrian and like having like principles of not giving in to what the Nazis want him to do he really decides for himself that he has these strong values and then they Decide. Oh, we can shape our lives around these together, and that's really the arc. Like there are two emotional arcs, like converging. Yeah, I'm doing a hand motion that the podcast listeners will obviously really appreciate. Or experience <laughs> together.
0: Just, just imagine the hand motion. Yeah. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and it's less. I mean, obviously, there's romance involved with that, and it's not just like they're getting together because it feels inevitable but like I I think that that's definitely a big part of it is realizing like that they have similar values and want to live their lives together and I think that there's there's a perception of the way the plot is that like the Baroness is the villain that's trying to keep them apart and stuff but like if you actually watch it I have very strong feelings the Baroness did nothing wrong okay (laughs) She was just trying to keep her man, but she realized that they weren't actually meant for each other and they had different
1: values. And Yeah, she's pretty chill, although she does bring up sending the kids to boarding school.
0: Right. But also, like, the kids were probably going to boarding school anyway, to be honest. Like, we just see them during summer break. Like, we don't know what their normal
1: school is like. That's true.
0: And also, apparently, the children were. Th- this is a thing that bothers me about the movie. They talk about how awful the children are and how they always like terrorized their their previous governesses and stuff. But when we see them, they are like the sweetest, most well behaved children. They
1: put a frog in Maria's pocket and a pine cone on her chair. Are you just going to ignore these indiscretions, Jane? It just doesn't seem like they actually did that, though. Like,
0: I mean, I know they supposedly did, but I just can't imagine those children actually doing that. They just they seem too nice,
1: yeah, well, I don't know. Brigida is, oh, yeah, she's a little mischievous, pretty judgy, yeah, yeah, I think that if you like a movie too much, you can start thinking a little bit too hard about it, <laughs> and yes. there's definitely some like timeline things because I was like, okay, so Gretel's five, so their mother can't have passed away more than five years ago and they've had 12 governesses in five years so like they're really gone through these governesses fast and also so Liesl was like 11 when all this started so I feel like maybe at first she was like she and Friedrich like started out by like playing tricks but like Surely they would have aged out of that a little bit by now, and now it's more like Kurt and Brigida who are getting up to these antics. But Gretel and Marta, they've, they've never done anything wrong. Those two sweet angels. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's fair.
0: And it's also very clear that the children just want attention, and Maria provides them more productive attention, so then they yeah. they stop being
1: such troublemakers because they're excited about the singing part. And I think, in part, we could say, "Oh, you know, it's a it's a movie, and they didn't have the screen time to show us. I mean, they could have this. Once you hit three hours, why not just add in a couple more scenes? But you know, because they're kind of compressing the timeline, they wanted to show them just liking Maria immediately. But you know, maybe also if you're looking at it from if you're trying to justify it, <laughs> um." From the perspective of a fan, maybe the idea is that other governesses have come in and like gone along with their dad with the whistling stuff. And Mm -hmm. they've just been like, yes, we are going to be very regimented. And so from the very first impression, they kind of lumped all of these governesses in together as you're just part of this system that our dad has created to put a cage around his grief and not deal with his feelings and also not deal with us as human beings. And then Maria comes in and just says, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) So maybe even just that first impression, they were like, ah, like, we'll just do a frog. And then, and then by that night, they're singing my favorite things with her. So
0: yeah, yeah, well, that's good. And also she comforts them during the thunderstorm. So I think that really, that really broke the ice. And I also, I have to share my favorite story about that scene because apparently that was pretty early on in the shoot and uh, Julie Andrews taught the kids supercalifragilisticexpialidocious because Mary Poppins hadn't come out yet when they were filming it to sort of like break the ice with them. And so they felt really at ease with her in real life, as well as the characters starting Aww. to feel at
1: ease with her. So I think that's very cute. That's lovely. Yeah, that's so cute. I love... There's a couple little scenes that it's just Liesl and Maria talking, and they really did find a good dynamic there of like this older girl being like, "I need more of a friend than, or like a mentor and less of a governess or a mother, really." Yeah, and I I love their relationship.
0: Yeah, I always felt sad because when she when Liesel sneaks in her window after singing in the gazebo in the rain and maria says okay put your dress in the bathtub and then we'll have a talk but then they never get to have the talk because the kids come in and it's the thunderstorm and i'm like i want to see that scene
1: i think that later they did have a talk i hope these'll all right well like since we've brought up the topic of Liesel, i have several things to say first of all 16 going on 17 such a catchy song it really is and it's it's in my head all the time It's a great song, but it's also full of red flags. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: for sure. I don't remember if it was you. Somebody, when we were watching it virtually, commented that, like, Rolf is taking the song very seriously, and Liesl kind of sees it as, like, flirtatious, like, role play kind of thing. And I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. She doesn't realize how serious he is about it because she's into the, like, little fun, flirty aspect of it but if you listen to what he's actually saying it's like oh dear
1: like I am a men's right activist and a nazi and then she's just like oh you (laughs) um yeah but having been a 16 year old girl who liked guys I really enjoy that song still because now I can see like how much Rolf sucks But I also can see how many of the guys that I liked when I was around that age sucked. (laughs) And, like, how bad I was at seeing red flags. And, you know, nothing really ever escalated to the extent that it does for Liesel's family. But I do have, like, a lot of sympathy for her there. And, uh, man, men's rights activists. It just makes you think, like, they will find any reason to be upset. They can have someone as gorgeous and as fun as Liesl trying to flirt with them. And they're just like, but what if we were Nazis? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: And, like, your dad should be a Nazi. Like, that's what we should be talking
1: about right now. (laughs) Yeah, he basically says that in that scene. He's just like, have you ever, like, told your dad to be a Nazi? And... You know, she doesn't really know what's going on. It is interesting, when I was re-watching this again, I was like, it's interesting how they're able to convey that Nazis are so bad, but they don't actually ever get into, like, why they are bad. They're really relying on the audience to have some of, like, that historical and cultural context. Like, they don't even make it clear that, there is going to be a war, really. I mean, they kind of they they do because they're like we we need Captain Von Trapp to come serve in our military, but they just really like gloss over like the horrors that are to come and that they're escaping from. They're just like we need to escape. Yeah. And it
0: is interesting because they do say the thing about like the Anschluss happened peacefully or whatever, but like, they don't explain what that means. Like, they're just like, okay, cool. And I mean, there is that tension. I think it's good that they have Max there as a character because I feel like he sort of voices what most people were probably feeling at the time of like, Mm -hmm. this is just going to happen. We have to accept it. And Georg being a little bit more unusual with his like no, this is horrible. We don't want this. Right. But again, they don't really explain exactly what's going on. And I think that probably at the time, well, and even like cause the stage musical is from 1959 and this is 1965. Yeah. So people like knew. Yes. Like the war had only been like 20 years earlier. Like people knew what happened. But I think it's interesting that like this is such a timeless classic and like it's still very much in the pop culture conversation. Like people know sound and music but like we're much farther removed from the events now and i do think it's interesting that like a lot of people consider the baroness the villain of the film and like are more focused on the love triangle thing it's like the nazis are right there
1: yeah the nazis are definitely the villains of the film i agree with you that the baroness does nothing wrong.
0: She steps away gracefully. Yes.
1: But I will say that we see in that scene when Max is like, what's going to happen is going to happen. And it's not my fault that I'm not a political person. And I can't help it that other people are. And then Georg says, yes, you can. And that's really the first time that we're seeing Captain Von Trapp recognizing I have these like strong values that I want to shape my life around. And the Baroness is just kind of like, everyone, like, chill out. Yeah. She is not really siding with Captain Von Trapp and saying, yes, Georg, like, I agree with you. Nazis are so bad.
0: Yeah, which Maria does. Because there's definitely that scene when Max says you need to talk some sense into him. He has to cooperate with these people. And she says, I can't ask him to be less than he is. Yeah. And it's just like, she gets it. The Baroness does not. So yeah, I agree that the Baroness and the Captain do not belong together. Yeah, But I also don't think that she's like the most evil character in the story. No. But yeah, she is, again, kind of like the typical Austrian or German of like, I'm not a Nazi, but I don't want to stand up to them. I would
1: say that the most evil actually is the butler yeah, he turns them in. And it's, just
0: like- it's very subtle, though. They like, don't explicitly say that. But you just see him looking ominously out
1: the window when the Nazis show up. Yeah, but it is. Gosh, it's so interesting. I know that most or, probably most of your audience is not going to be familiar with the more recent musical Spies Are Forever. I know you are, Jane. <laughs> well, actually, most of my audience is probably my friends who uh, <laughs>
0: do, are familiar with it.
1: But yeah, that's true. But just in case there's anyone who's not familiar, it's a musical that you can see on YouTube in full and it takes place in like the 60s. And it's like sort of a James Bond themed Spies thing and nazis kind of try to make like a comeback (laughs) in that um which i guess they do in james bond as well all the time they recently did a concert version of that that musical and the creators we're talking about when they wrote it in 2015, they just didn't realize that Nazis actually would make a comeback in 2016 and they would be part of our natural conversation so much. Yeah, like during the years of 2016, t- 2017, I think a lot of people realized that just random people in their lives actually agreed with very conservative and fascist viewpoints that because we just didn't talk about our personal politics as much, we didn't realize that about each other. And so that moment of like, realizing that your butler has been a Nazi sympathizer this whole time, actually, like, isn't that unrealistic of a moment.
0: Yeah. Going back to Max, too, like, Georg even says to him, like sometimes I don't believe I know you or something like that. When he yeah. when he expresses like we should just get along with people, is like, yeah, I think that that happened to a lot of people in the sort of 2016 era of like, yeah, assuming that everyone agrees with you that certain things are bad, and then realizing like, oh, right. you don't think this is that big of a deal? Yeah, okay, <laughs> didn't didn't see that coming, like. Gehrig always like he knows what kind of person Max is that he's like just trying to make make a buck as quickly as he can and like exploiting singers to get money from them and stuff like that but I think he didn't realize what that would translate to and I think that Max has a nice arc in that at the end he helps them escape even though he knows that's losing him
1: money yeah the greatest sacrifice anyone could make. Max giving up the chance to win money.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that that escape is so good. I love the way they do it. It's amazing. Yeah, the way that they sing So Long Farewell, like a reprise of So Long Farewell and kind of sneak away and nobody thinks anything of it. Yeah. And then there's the lady who bows like 15 times. Yes,
1: I love her. Yeah, they just keep bowing at each other.
0: I know this doesn't actually make sense, but I like to think that she was somehow in on it and she was trying to do her part to help them escape by
1: delaying their announcement. Yeah. Oh, man, she's so great. I also love at the end when they're, like, hiding in the cemetery and then they leave in the caretaker's car and the Nazis' cars won't start and then the nuns are like, Mother Superior... I have sinned. I have sinned. And then they show that they've stolen the parts. What a great moment. Like, that is just...
0: Yeah, and that's, like, that's like basically how the movie ends, because it cuts from that yeah. to them walking across the mountains. and
1: Yeah, and just, like, hearing the song Climb Every Mountain playing over that. Yeah, but, like, yeah. what a great... Like, the nuns get the last laugh in the end, and yes. I love that for them.
0: Yeah, I yeah. think... I mean, what you were saying earlier about, like, other Rodgers and Hammerstein shows i'm not actually like that familiar with most of their other shows like i've seen most of them like at least once and then i guess the one i'm most familiar with is their version of cinderella and those songs were actually written for julie andrews to make everything come full circle but like i just a lot of their other shows i have like major issues with a lot of the the aspects of them like they're kind of racist they're kind of misogynistic they like have a lot of problematic elements and there's like a little bit of that in Sound of Music. I do think like, I mean, I love that Maria and Liesel have a conversation, but I think that that 16 going on 17 reprise has a lot of like problematic moments in there. Like the, like, lo and behold, you're someone's wife and you belong
1: to him uh, is a little bit like, eh. that's very strong written by a man. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's like, we got to remind you that it's written by a man, but I feel like, it has less of that than their other shows.
1: Oh, yeah. And I feel like in most of their other shows, it's like maybe the ending is supposed to be, like, kind of happy, but also there was definitely at least one tragic death that we're supposed to just ignore.
0: And also just, like, that the the romantic leads actually don't have a healthy relationship. And you're just kind of yeah. like... Um, I, I don't actually think want them to be together and so i think that the fact that this one is like they do have a healthy relationship they clearly do belong together and also like it's more about getting away from the nazis and standing up for what you believe in than promoting toxic dysfunctional relationships that i think is part of why this one has become like the one that everyone talks about and it was their last collaboration because i think hammerstein
1: died shortly after oh okay yeah i didn't realize it was their last one
0: the musical premiered in 59 and hammerstein died in 60 and so there's a couple songs that were added for the movie that were just written by rogers without hammerstein
1: oh, because wow. he had
0: died already so like i have confidence. And something good, I think.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I love those songs. It's, well, especially I have confidence. Like that is such a great song.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But some of the lyrics are a little weird and it's like maybe they could have used Hammerstein to help with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I yeah, that's true. But it does it is very a very powerful song and I love that scene yeah. a lot.
1: I guess something good is I'm glad that they put it in there, but it is like, what? (laughs) Like, it is like, you really have to listen to the lyrics to understand what they're talking about sometimes. Like, it's very convoluted logic where they're just like, I was a bad kid, but like, I must have done something good to be with you. And it's like, what? Like, Yeah, I don't, and I don't really
0: understand, like, it does, it seems kind of out of place. I feel like they could have made it better by, like, making it be like, I've never felt at home before. Like, I've always felt like I didn't fit in and and you make me feel like that. Like, that would be a better message to have in that song. Yeah. Instead of just being like, I'm evil, but I must have done something good to deserve you.
1: Yeah, so I gotta ask, as as an Arrow Ace person, do you just, like, really avoid um glass gazebos in general because it's so, like <laughs> based on the sound of music like they're only allowed to be used for romantic <laughs> romantic songs
0: yeah every time I see one I'm like ah <laughs> run away um yeah no I hadn't ever really thought about that before I do remember thinking that the something good scene was very boring and and then I also think just like finding out that a lot of people love this movie because like they find Christopher Plummer really attractive was very strange to me or like they watch it because of the love story because I was always like yeah it's there it's it's fine whatever but like I was watching it for like the kids becoming appreciated and yeah. people figuring out who they are and stuff and to tell people like oh yeah Sound of Music is like my favorite movie and people like, oh yeah Christopher Plummer and I'm like He's the
1: dad. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna bring my aloe perspective here. As someone who finds people attractive, yeah, like Christopher Plummer is so great in this. Also, apparently, like, he helped build out the character somewhat from the stage musical version. And a lot of what makes the character in the movie so great came from Christopher Plummer's input so I think like I just want to give him like more credit than just like wow what a great performance because he he brought so much to it but I was thinking about it today and I think that one reason people are so drawn to this love story is the way that it's portrayed in the movie and not not necessarily in the musical or other places, is he basically made Captain Von Trapp like a dad version of Mr. Darcy. Yeah, I could see that. (laughs) Maria shows up, really rich guy is all like aloof. And he's like, you're all weird and stuff. And they get into all of these big arguments at the beginning. And, you know, she's playing kind of an Elizabeth Bennet, like, I'm witty and I'm going to stand up for myself. And as opposed to like everyone else in your life who's going to be a yes person, I'm going to speak my mind to you. Um, and then they, you know, realize, oh, like, <laughs> I actually really like you. Um, I think that it is that, like, it's not that opposites attract, but it is that being willing to admit that your first impression of this person was not correct and that you actually do have a lot in common but also that like that is so attractive the man who starts out aloof and then his barriers melt and he has a face like Christopher Plummer
0: (laughs) (laughs) and he manages to propose to you without insulting your family so even better than Mr. Darcy (laughs)
1: yeah well he he's improved on the formula he also like doesn't you know do your sister great harm by separating her from her true love so.
0: yeah that's true too so even better is if you want someone better than mr darcy captain georg von <laughs> yeah
1: yeah but i like apparently the the real captain von trapp he was not like emotionally withholding from his kids at all and i think that they like played up that piece for the musical but then also like the humor that he has and like a lot of his really funny lines are when he's talking to max actually um like (laughs) their whole friendship it's just like so cunning but apparently a lot of that originated with christopher Plummer.
0: that makes sense because he like he does that so well and i love his little like he's got a little twinkle in his eye and when he does his little like teasing thing well especially the scene when the kids go to say goodbye to maria and then they come back and they're telling him that they were berry picking and all of that and he's just like letting them dig themselves into <laughs> <Yeah>. a hole <laughs> is so great and he does that so well and then he like goes back into the house you see him do his little chuckle like oh my kids are so silly but yeah. oh that he lets them say that it's blueberries and then he's like oh it's the wrong season for blueberries and so then Friedrich goes well they were strawberries it's been so cold lately they turned blue is like one of my favorite moments and then he just looks Friedrich looks so disappointed in himself (laughs) it's so great oh man there's so many just fun moments like that that I think are part of why I keep re-watching it because it is it is almost three hours long, so I think I would watch it more if it was shorter, but I also, like, I don't feel like it drags. I feel like it's engaging the whole time. Yeah.
1: I agree with you that probably the slowest part is something good. Yeah. Like, I kind of feel like they, they have to have it in there, like, you know, it's, like, to move from not married to married, they have to have something there, But it is such a slow song. And when I was a kid, I definitely fast forwarded through it because it was just like adults having feelings for each other. Whatever. (laughs) Like, this isn't interesting. And, you know, compared to that amazing dance scene in that same setting with 16 going on 17, (laughs) and then you just like see them standing in shadow being like, I think I love you. (laughs) you're just like oh man this is uh all right I'm gonna get up and like get a glass of water or something (laughs) yeah well and it
0: just it almost like undermines the message of like yes they have the same values and they're belonging together it's like oh wow I don't deserve you because I was horrible and yeah it's weird to like have that be the song that they sing there and I don't
1: know I in the stage version I don't know if they had a different song there if they just They do. Um, I looked it up and it's called An Ordinary Couple. I haven't actually listened to it.
0: I'm kind of thinking that they might have cut that out of more like modern productions. Yeah,
1: I think maybe they just like replaced it with something good in more recent stagings. Yeah,
0: I'm trying to think. I don't remember how it was when I saw it on stage.
1: Yeah, I feel like now that I know that Hammerstein wasn't involved with that song, I'm like, you could even take another pass. Like you could even try for future staging of the musical like try something else there something that actually like talks about like in this moment why they are into each other at least we have some perspective on maria like being criticized when she was a child and a young adult and then like feeling like she you know kind of was like struggling to find her place in the world. But that is not at all like anything that we've ever heard <laughs> about Captain Pontrap and so the fact that that's what they're singing about it's they were clearly just like we need a song about people being in love with each other (laughs) then rogers is like what about this
0: yeah let's just throw this in yeah but it just it seems weirdly out of character for both of them to be singing about like i'm so awful and i don't deserve you because they they're more like confident and more self-assured than that yeah that I think that it's yeah. it's weird. I guess they're being vulnerable with each other and that's what we're supposed to take out of them. I
1: think that what Captain Von Trapp and Maria need is a song where he's saying, like I was trying to stop myself from feeling things, but like I feel comfortable feeling things when I'm around you. And then Maria being like, I never felt like I fit in, but I feel like I fit in when I'm around you.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that would that would make more sense. But okay, we fixed it. We fixed sound to music, guys. I
1: mean we we figured out how to fix it. I don't know that <laughs> we didn't actually write the song.
0: <laughs> that's true.
1: Yeah. Okay. But we're getting there. We're getting
0: there. Don't want to get too critical of the movie though. But yeah, that's <laughs> I think that the, the something good part and the sixteen going on seventeen reprise are like the two parts that really bothered me.
1: Yeah. It is one of those musicals that I feel like some musicals fall victim to act one. It's like there's so many great songs. And then in act two, they get to a point where they're like, oh, like we have so much plot to do before we can get to the end. And so there's not going to be as many songs or if there are songs, they're going to kind of just be like shoehorned in. We really got to do all this plot right now. And there's like so much that happens, you know, they get married and then they have to like get to the point where they're in the festival and escaping. And they're like, all right, I guess like we better have Maria and Liesl sing a little song here in the middle, just so we have a song. But (laughs) It's not like an inspired one. I also honestly could cut the goat herd song oh i love that
0: song i mean it has nothing to do with anything and you could easily be cut but i just love it so much
1: i mean i think it does serve a narrative purpose in that it's showing like the way that the von trapp household has now been transformed and like you know everyone's having a good time together again and it's all thanks to maria but the song is longer than it needs to be because first they tell the story about the goat herder and then they're like we're gonna tell the same story but just about goats
0: yeah, I think it's really funny that like, they have to turn them into goats before they make the thing about soon the duet will become a trio. Like, it's okay that there's a baby goat. If we talk about baby humans, that's going too far. Like, we can't imply sex in this show.
1: Okay, maybe I I never understood that. But I still maintain there's too much of that song. <laughs> oh, for
0: sure. Yeah, I agree. But I also love it. And I think it's really fun seeing the like, the kids trying to do the puppet show. And yes, like all of that. I I think it's very fun. It is completely unnecessary. And way too long. I'm trying to think like what my f- I don't know what my favorite song is. I love so many of the songs but I do absolutely love the Do Re Mi scene even though that goes on way too long like it's a very very long sequence no
1: because they're going all around Salzburg no I I wouldn't cut one second of that song it's so fun it's so good Do Re Mi and they they do like all the different versions and stuff and oh man I love it I wish it was that easy to learn how to sing in harmony
0: (laughs) yes yes I also love that they're like
1: We don't know any songs. And then they're just immediately singing every song. (laughs) Yeah. And then when their dad shows back up and they're singing The Hills Are Alive, and then he comes in and starts singing it. Like, I'm not bothered by the fact that he just knows the words because it's a musical. But what is amazing to me is that they're like, oh, like, not only did our governess teach us a song, but we just automatically know how to like go into choral, like vocal backing parts. For her dad,
0: yeah. Well, it's it's unclear how much time has passed because clearly the do re mi sequence takes place over multiple days because yeah. they changed their clothes. I don't know where they got those clothes because she had to make them clothes out of curtains because they only had their like
1: really like fancy clothes So okay so here's my theory so they have their like uniform clothes and then she makes them the play clothes and when they're like sitting around on the grass and doing more physical stuff they're wearing the play clothes and like when they're on the lake they're wearing the play clothes but then when they're touring Salzburg and they're like walking through the gardens and in a carriage that's when we see them in These other casual clothes, and I feel like maybe those were clothes that they did have that were, like, for some other purpose. Like, you wouldn't want to get them dirty, so they're not considered play clothes, but maybe... They did have more than like two outfits to wear. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's my headcanon. I have put a lot of thought into the costuming in this movie. <laughs> so I do have headcanon about every outfit that people wear.
0: Okay. That's fair. Because I was thinking like, well, maybe she like takes everybody else's curtains in the area and makes, just makes a lot of clothes out of all the other curtains. <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe. The other thing that I noticed when I was rewatching that sequence is they each have like three outfits and they wear them in different combinations at different times. So it is kind of like, like they have the play clothes and then it seems like they each kind of have two non play clothes, non uniform outfits. And there's like different scenes where like Maria is wearing her striped dress in one scene I don't know. I'm just saying that it seems like it's taking place over like maybe a couple of weeks, actually. Yeah. And they just have these three outfits that they're differently cycling through. What I'm trying to say is the costuming department did a great job of telling me the story of like, over time, them going out on all these different adventures and it not just happening over a couple of days while her dad is out. Of
0: time. Yeah, because because I don't think they ever officially establish how long he's gone. I know that like before he leaves, when Maria's talking to Frau Schmidt, she says the last time he went to visit the Baroness, he stayed for a month. So it's implied that it's going to be for a little while. But it does. I mean, it doesn't really matter. But it's nice that they're able to show like, yes, he was gone for a long time without like making it. Take a long time for the audience, yeah, by, by showing all the different combinations of outfits. But I must admit that, like a lot of the time, I wasn't even really paying attention to that because
1: I don't tend to pay that much attention to costumes. That's fine. Since we're on the topic of costumes, though, I do want to bring up my probably favorite costume moment in the entire movie, which is when she first comes to the Von Trapp household. She's wearing this gray dress, which multiple people insult her about yeah and she and the captain have a great exchange where she says i don't have any other clothes all of our clothes are given away to the poor and then he says what about that outfit and she says
0: poor didn't want (laughs) this one. it's like my
1: favorite line so what i love is that in the second act when she goes in to talk to mother superior right before she goes in we see Someone who is just entering the convent, and she's wearing like a snazzy green dress. And then Mother Superior is like Go off and we'll get you a wimple Or whatever she says and then Maria comes in And they have their whole talk and then When Maria shows back up at the Von Trapp family house she's wearing this Snazzy green dress yes And I love that they took the time to be Like we know that we set up that Like they have terrible clothes at the convent But there is a reason that she is like Dressed to the nines right now
0: It is so great and like it took me so long To notice that I think I always assumed That the reason they showed the new person coming in is like she was replacing maria and to be like yes maria needs to leave kind of thing of like there's no reason for her to be here we have another postulate yes
1: so many nuns don't worry about it
0: <laughs> it was a relatively recent viewing for me where i was like oh she's wearing that dress okay yeah. and that's great i agree that's amazing and they don't really like they don't hit you over the head with it it's just no. very subtle but it's there and it's great
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there might be other plot holes in this movie, but that is not one of them. They're like, don't worry, we tied this one up in a nice little bow. (laughs) Like they added in a whole little scene (laughs) to make it sound. Just for that dress. I mean, it's like one line, but still. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that I wanted to ask, because I feel like in most of your episodes so far, you've like pointed out like the possible ace identifying characters in the movie. And obviously, we have a bunch of nuns. So, like, there's a lot of people who are celibate, but like Max is definitely yeah. the one who's just like, I'm not interested in like, and he has friends. You know, it's not that he is like, I don't need people, but he's just like, I'm not out here looking for love. I'm looking for a singing group I can take advantage of. Yeah, I feel like Max
0: is definitely like very queer coded. And he has like certain, just the way he reads his lines and certain mannerisms, I feel like could be interpreted as stereotypically gay or something. Interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. But what
1: you're saying, It yes, I Yeah,
0: I feel like that's, I don't know if other people see it that way. And I didn't always see it that way, but in more recent viewings, he doesn't have a partner that we know of and that could just be because that wasn't socially acceptable. But also like being airways is also queer. So it's not necessarily that he has to be gay. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and we don't see him showing any sort of like, because I think there is sort of a tendency to be like, okay, well, if the Baroness doesn't end up with the captain maybe like with Max but I I love their dynamic as like no way. friends and sort of like yeah. co-conspirators a little bit because I think that Max does want the baroness and the captain to end up together at least at first i don't know how he feels about maria to be honest we don't really see them interact very much but yeah i definitely feel like he is he's another example of like there's no one right path right that yes. like he yeah. knows exactly what he wants out of life he's not looking for a romantic partner he's looking for a singing group that he can manage and make money off of
1: yeah Well, I will say, like, I think that he kind of does ship the Baroness with Captain Von Trapp, but then I think he's also just like, yeah, like, you guys are adults, and, like, if that doesn't work out, like, I'm going to be just as welcoming to Maria, and I'm going to be happy for Georg for, like, finding the person that he actually wanted to be with. Plus... Not encouraging him to sing. So.
0: Yeah, well, he he uses their their honeymoon as like, oh, while well, you guys are away, I'm gonna just like casually enter your children into a singing contest without talking to you about it because uh, that, that's that's cool, right? What?
1: Yeah, I can't believe they left them alone with Max. <laughs> no I don't think about it. I mean I guess the housekeeper was there. But...
0: Was Max supposed to be like their guardian during that time? It's not really super clear.
1: I mean, I guess he, you know, I don't know if he was supposed to be their guardian. I think he was just like staying at the house and was just like, oh, like, you know, I'm here, you're here. What if we enter the singing <laughs> festival?
0: Yeah, we don't, we don't actually see how that comes about. We cut from the wedding to them rehearsing, basically. But yeah, I, I love that. I think that's so funny. Being like, yeah, just take as long of a honeymoon as you want. I'm just gonna make your children sing. It's all good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we've gotten through all of my notes. So. Okay. Well, any, <laughs> any other last thoughts? Oh, man. Just that I think... I just want to say, I think that the musical, the stage musical has a reputation as being like way too sweet and like hokey or something. But if you have never seen the movie or if you haven't seen it in a long time, I highly recommend revisiting it because the cinematography is beautiful the acting is amazing and the dialogue is very witty and there are just some really funny scenes with julie andrews and christopher Plummer, and and they like they really made a movie that i think has great themes that are told really well so it's good watch that yeah
0: i hear it being criticized for being too saccharine and i'm just like but it's not really, though. Like, there's a lot of really serious moments in this. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and I feel like the, the good ones feel earned. Like, they are not just like, oh, but everything's fine now. It's like, but we had to work to make things better again. And I do love that. Yeah. yeah. I also want to mention Best Picture Winner. So I did watch it when I was watching through all the Best Picture Winners. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I noticed when I was watching through all the Best Picture winners is that most of them are very long war movies. And this is this kind of fits with that because it is very long and there is a war involved. But it's a little bit more fun to watch than some of the just like three hour people fighting World
1: War Two movies. (laughs) It truly is. Yeah, I I would agree with that. There's hardly any war in it. It's just sort of like right before the war. So the war is implied. Yeah. I would say the best part of any war is before it it happens.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: Yeah. What a great note to end this podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for being my guest. My first ever guest.
1: Thank you for inviting me. And I just want to say that being your friend, Is one of my favorite
0: things. Oh, I feel the
1: same way.
0: That was so much fun. Christina is always so insightful. I hope you enjoyed hearing from her as much as I enjoyed talking to her. I have a few more guests planned for future episodes, but next week we'll be back to just me as I move on to the shorter of two movies that I watched 16 times which will also be the first black and white movie I'll be talking about on here, though certainly not the last. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. When I find myself in a position like this, I ask myself, what would General Motors do? And then I do the opposite.